Here last week, we finished the text of Jonah. And so you might have been surprised to see Jonah on the schedule again for today's sermon. But I want to go back and catch some meaning out of Jonah that maybe we, we didn't look at as closely as we went through it a little more exegetically or kind of verse by verse. So um, let's start with a little bit of a recap of where we've already been in case you missed a sermon in here. Uh, in sort of scene one or chapter one, Jonah runs from God. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, but he doesn't go to Nineveh. He goes down and gets in a boat and heads towards this much richer place that's a lot further away called Tarshish. And, uh, and so Jonah runs the opposite way, but God stops him by, by causing this storm to come up around the boat. And, and eventually, at, at uh, Jonah's request, the people on the boat throw Jonah overboard. And as he's sinking down to the ground, or down to the depths of the sea, uh, God tells a fish to come and swallow Jonah. And so in some ways, the fish is a punishment for Jonah, but in some ways... The fish saves him from continuing to go down and down to the depths and underbelly of the earth. In chapter 2, Jonah is in the belly of this fish. And after about three days, he finally prays. You would think he could do it earlier. Um, But in some ways, part of the question of Jonah is, why does he do the weird things that he does? Why doesn't he go to Nineveh? Why does it take him three days in the belly of a fish to finally come to his senses And that's kind of a question you're not going to get answered until the fourth scene. But in the belly, he prays. And finally, as he prays, God appoints that fish to go and vomit Jonah out onto dry land. And then in scene three, there's this uh, recall of Jonah, right? Okay, here's what I want you to do. Do the thing I told you to do already. Go to Nineveh. And he goes, and to our amazement, this violent city of Nineveh actually listens to, to Jonah. They actually start to repent. And this is this is amazing sort of trickling that happens where first normal people sort of hear it and then more people hear it and then the elites of society hear it. Eventually the king hears it and calls for repentance. And uh, then even he, he declares that everybody's going to go through a fast. Even the animals are in a fast and they put on sackcloth and try to see if God might relent of the punishment of Nineveh. And God does. He, he relents. He doesn't destroy Nineveh but allows them to live. And then in the fourth scene, Jonah is is bitter about it. He's angry. And we finally see Jonah's reason why he never wanted to go to Nineveh. It's not because he was afraid. It's not really because he uh, uh, didn't know God. He clearly knew God. What he says is, I knew you were gracious. I knew you were going to be merciful to those people. And I didn't want you to be merciful to those people. And so God uses a plant to show, Nineveh, to, to show Jonah uh, how poor his attitude is about Nineveh. And, and then the text just ends. If you read Jonah chapter 4, it just ends. Like there's no answer. We don't know what happens. We don't know exactly if Jonah ever repents. I mean, what an amazing opportunity Jonah would have to go into Nineveh and to celebrate the repentance. Or to teach Nineveh about how to live differently. What a ministry opportunity. What, a, what an opportunity to celebrate God's amazing love and grace. And we never know if he does it because he's just sitting on the outside of town pouting. Now, there are many ways that people have interpreted this story and tried to apply this story to life. But today I want to go over four kind of interesting ones. 
that have shown up in history and have been part of how you apply Jonah. And I want to treat Jonah as a parable. Now, by parable, I don't mean it's a fake story, but I mean in a literal sense. The word parable comes from a combination of two Greek words. Bowl, what does that sound like? It's like to throw. (laughs) You're bowling. Ball, football today. Ball, balle, that's to throw. Para, Para means beside. Or next to. So when when Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, for example, he's taking this story and he's throwing it beside life and asking you to compare the two. That's what a parable literally means. Throw alongside. And so there are four ways in which this parable of Jonah has been thrown alongside of life to help us critique and think about. So four different ways that, that Jonah has been applied and, and these are important to think about because Jonah is a book of prophecy. It's part of the minor prophets. It's in the books of the prophets. And yet there's like no prophecy. I mean, in the whole book, there's one prophetic line. Forty days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's the only prophecy. By the way, it doesn't even come true. God relents of it. Okay, And yet it's in the books of prophecy, which means it has something to say about what God has to say to his people. So let's look at four ways. Number one, Jonah is a parable about Israel. Jonah has been interpreted as a parable thrown alongside of Israel. Israel uh, was called by God and made by God to be a blessing among the nations. And they were to remember that they were foreigners in Egypt, and then foreigners sort of traveling through the desert. And so part of Israel's call was to be a blessing to the nations and also to really care about the foreigners, particularly foreigners in their midst. Here's the call of Abraham in Genesis 12. So when God calls Abraham, he says, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. By the way, Abraham's from Ai, or he's from a city very near to Nineveh. That's where Abraham's from. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families or the nations of the earth will be blessed. So Israel is called to be a blessing to other nations, to other families. Here's how Moses describes it uh, from God. Uh, after the Exodus, Exodus 19, starting in verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, and for all the earth is mine, and you shall seek, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Okay, so Moses' understanding is Israel is supposed to be a priest to the whole nation. They're a nation set apart to be a blessing to other people. And part of the critique of the prophets, especially the minor prophets, among which Jonah is listed, is that Israel's not doing their job. Okay, part of why these other foreign nations are gaining so much strength in places like Nineveh is that Israel hasn't been good about being a good neighbor. They haven't stood the way they should in this world, and so they're not a blessing to the people that are around them. Okay, So you can see this as a Jonah, as a parable, as thrown alongside Israel in several ways. 
First, Jonah's disobedience of God is compared to Israel's disobedience of God. Just like Jonah runs away from what God calls him to do, prophets keep saying again and again, Israel is not doing what they're supposed to do. And therefore, they don't have a good understanding of of grace. So for them, in Israel, grace is entitlement. And they feel like withholding it from other people the same way that Jonah does. And then just like Jonah prays in the belly of the whale, Israel really needs to pray and come back to God. And then shockingly in the story, like the the prophets, Joel, uh, uh, Malachi, Nahum, you go back and read all these minor prophets, they're constantly calling Israel to repentance. You know who does repent? Nineveh. Nineveh repents. These terrible people that Israel is afraid of and hates, Nineveh, they repent, but, but the prophets are constantly calling Israel back to repentance. And so, so Nineveh's repentance actually stands in critique of Israel. Part of God's critique of Jonah's attitude towards his neighbor is also at stake here. Right? It, just like Jonah isn't loving his neighbor and wants to keep grace from Nineveh, so Israel is having the same struggle. So you can see now the parable, the parable, right? The parallel. So you got Israel and Jonah are kind of like the same. The next one is sort of the next step, okay? So if Israel is like Jonah, then you know who is also like Jonah? The leadership of Israel. So the second par- parable here is that Jonah is a parable about prophetic ministry. I mean, here we have Jonah. He's supposed to be one of the leaders. He works with the king. He's supposed to speak a message from the Lord. And if Jonah is messing up grace, if Jonah is messing up how to treat his neighbor, well, then, of course, Israel has a problem. Israel doesn't just have a faithfulness problem. It has a leadership problem. The prophets, the priests, the kings. I mean, the minor prophets keep saying this in so many ways. They're bad shepherds. They haven't done, they haven't led Israel the right way. The failure of Israel is a failure of leadership. And so the book of Jonah stands as a corrective to that. Like, here's the problem. What happens when a leader fails to see grace? What happens when a leader falls off of what God's will is? This is the problem. Now, to, to, to give a little bit of grace here to Jonah, what, why is he so upset? Why doesn't he want grace for Nineveh? Well, it feels to me, we, we talked a little bit about this at my wonderful Wednesday, feels to me like Jonah is wounded, right? That he's hurt. I wonder if Jonah has lost family members to the Ninevites, right? I wonder if he's actually lost and had grief over the Ninevites, I mean, if that's true, you kind of understand why he is the way he is. But this is the problem of leadership. The problem is when you go to lead your family, when you go to lead your business, when you go to lead the church, your flaws are always a challenge. There's a leadership guy, uh, John Maxwell, writes a lot of different stuff. One thing he talks about is leadership is sort of the ceiling of your organization. Right? Your people are not typically going to grow any higher than your leader. So when you're in a when it's your house, this is the problem of being a leader, right? Problem of being a parent is I'm not a perfect parent because I'm not a perfect person. Okay, I'm a pastor and I'm not a perfect person. And you're leading in a business and you're not a perfect person. And there's always a, a, a temptation. There's always a challenge when we lead that our flaws and and our biases 
And our wounds and our hatred are going to keep back the people that we're trying to lead. It's always a problem. Um, one of my favorite books by a guy named Eugene Peterson. Uh, he's famous for, for translating a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. But he wrote books for pastors, too, and they're fantastic. One of my favorite ones is called Under the Unpredictable Plant. And it's about Jonah. He uses Jonah as a, just like I'm talking about, but for pastors. And one of the things he says is, ministers, pastors, churches always want to go to Tarshish. Right? You never want to go to the people you don't like. Like, if God calls you to the poor, or God calls you to the broken, and God calls you to someone with special needs, God calls you... Like, when God calls you to something hard, there's always a temptation to be like, nah, I'm going to go towards Tarshish. Tarshish is a place of wealth. Tarshish is a place of prosperity, right? They have, if, if you're Jonah, like the salaries in Tarshish are way better than Nineveh, right? The response could be way better. There's always a temptation when we lead to lead towards what we would like to do, what we would prefer to do, what's more comfortable rather than what actually needs done. Jonah felt that way. Israel felt that way. Israel's leadership felt that way. Well, I feel that way too. Like, I get it. So Jonah is a parable about Israel. It's a parable about Israel's leadership. And I hope you can see underneath all this, these are the different ways that it's sort of a parable for us too. Number three, Jonah is a parable about Jesus. Okay, in all the New Testament, the, Jonah is only mentioned three times. Uh, it's mentioned in Matthew 12 with, with a parallel in, in Luke 11. And then it's mentioned just a little bit later in Matthew, but it's referring back to this. So here's how Jesus uses, Matthew, uses Jonah. Matthew 12, starting in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the scribes and the Pharisees want a sign. Listen, we're in Matthew 12. There's been plenty of signs. Okay? They play of miracles and healings and amazing teachings. There's signs all over the place. For some reason, none of those count for them. They want a sign. And Jesus critiques them, and he uses Jonah to do it. He said, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And there's two parts to the sign. It's the parable of Jonah as Jesus is using it. One is, Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. And that's the same amount of time that Jesus is going to be in the tomb for three days and for three nights. And so he sees Jonah's sort of death and resurrection as a prefiguring of his own death and resurrection. The tomb is the fish. Okay, and for this reason, in the early church, a lot of people drew fish. Um, this is one reason why a lot, of, a lot of fish is a major symbol. And uh, not only the, the fishers of men, but also this idea of us being part of Jonah, that Jonah is 
part of how Jesus saw himself. And so you see fish on a lot of graves and on a lot of tombs in the early church. <coughs> but then he uses Nineveh as an example. Just the way we talked about Israel, he talks about Nineveh saying, you know, Nineveh didn't need much of a sign, did they? Like, you keep not believing, and you've got me doing all these miraculous things. Jonah walks in, says, 40 days, and everything's going to turn and burn. And Nineveh responded to that. And so part of it is he's saying, like, look, if Nineveh responds so well to Jonah, then you look really bad for not responding to me. That's the critique. That's the sign. So the sign you're going to get is me. Again, this is the only real use of Jonah in the New Testament. There's a similar teaching that Luke captures. And then later in Matthew 16, Jesus refers again to the sign of Jonah, but he's just referring back to this conversation. But even though Jonah doesn't get mentioned ever again in the text, there's been some argument to say that there's one other time where Jesus really borrows from the book of Jonah. And it may not be something you've thought about before. Probably the most famous story of Jesus, maybe close with the Good Samaritan, is the prodigal son. A lot of people have heard the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. But if you read the prodigal son in light of Jonah, you get some really interesting insights. Let me tell you really quickly the parable of the prodigal son. And then you can read it for yourself in light of Jonah and see what you think. This younger son asked for an inheritance from his father. This is his portion of the estate, and normally he would get this when he died. So really he's wishing his father dead. And uh, this father then gives him his share of the estate, which means he'd have to sell off property, he'd have to sell off animals, but it gives him his share of the estate. And his son goes off to a faraway land and spends all that money on reckless living. I mean, he just goes crazy. And then what does he do from there? He, 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 once he's out of money, there's a famine in the land and he has nothing. And so he ends up feeding pigs in Jesus's story. Now, listen to a Jewish audience. It doesn't get a lot lower than feeding pigs. OK, and so then he comes to his senses. He's, he's in the muck. He's feeding pigs and he, he's starting to look longingly at the food the pigs are eating. That's how bad this is getting. He comes to his senses. He hatches a plan. Maybe my father won't let me be a son, but at least I could be a servant. And so he heads back towards home. I'm sure he's rehearsing the speech. I'm just going to tell my father I've sinned against heaven and against you. And he's kind of working out how he's going to try to explain himself. But the father in the story sees him a long way off. If he sees him a long way off, it means he was watching. He's watching for him. Been watching for a long time for that son to come home. And he runs after that son and he hugs him and uh, puts his cloak on him, puts his ring on him. He, he won't be a servant. He's going to be my son. And he kills the fatted calf, throws a huge party. Then we get another brother, the elder brother. The word elder is presbyteros. Okay, it's Presbyterian. This is the Presbyterian brother. Okay, and the Presbyterian brother. He comes walking towards the party, and the party is so loud that the text says he hears the party a long way off. That is a great party. Okay? When you're out in the field, you're like, there's a party. That's a great party. But he won't go into the party. He will not go into the party. 
And he, he stands on the outside of the party and he looks and, he, and he, he, his father eventually comes to him to have a conversation with him. He said, all these years I slaved for you. That's how he views his relationship with his dad. Yeah, he didn't go wild. He stayed home. But he sees the work that he did for his father as slaving. All these years I slaved for you. You never once threw me a party. But now this son of yours, he won't call him his brother. Read the story. He won't call him his brother. This son of yours comes home and now you've, you kill the fatted calf. And then the father begs the son. Come in. Your, your brother's home. Come into the party. And then amazingly, the story just ends. Abruptly. Like no answer. Cliffhanger just stops. An author and pastor Tim Keller wonders if maybe Jesus had the, the story of Jonah in mind when he told the story. Because think about it. That younger brother, that's the first two chapters of Jonah, right? Just like this younger brother went off in the long, to a faraway land and parted and went away from his father. That's what Jonah's doing. He is running away from God's plans and God's purposes. And he even says at one point, he was running from the presence of God. This is the younger brother. And he goes, he ends up at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish, just like the pods of the pigs. And he comes to his senses. He says, I'm going to go home. At least I can be a servant. At least I can go home. And the younger brother is the first half of Jonah. And then an amazing twist. The elder brother, the Presbyterian brother, that's the second half of Jonah. Okay? Because we've got this, all this amazing stuff happening in Nineveh. Okay, it's like Las Vegas is totally becoming Christian. And Christians are on the outside. And they're judging what God is doing. Instead of going in and celebrating it. Instead of being part of it. Instead of leading it. And, and so Jonah, where does he end up? Or he ends up on the outside of the city, right? Where does the elder brothers end up? On the outside of the party. And the ending of the stories is exactly the same. It's a cliffhanger. You don't know if Jonah goes to the party. You don't know if the elder brother goes to the party. You have no idea. How, and, and what is it? It's an invitation to you to say, are you going to go into the party? Are you going to go celebrate? Are you going to be in this celebration of, of the brother coming home? See, that's the bonus parable. Yeah, it's Israel. And it's Israel's leadership and prophecy. It's about Jesus and going into the tomb. And, and yeah, it's the prodigal son. I hope you can see the parallels. Go read Luke 15. It's really kind of interesting. And light of Jonah to read Luke 15. But ultimately the story is a parable for you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with God's grace? What's your relationship with the Father going to be? Is it going to be one of service? Or is it going to be one of relationship? And what if he calls you to do something you don't want to do? And what if you're wounded by someone or by something and God calls you to minister to that something or someone and you've got to set aside those feelings to go towards what God calls you to do? Do you take God's grace for granted? Or do you see it as something beautiful? Are you faithful to God's calling? Are you a blessing in the world or are you just looking for a blessing for yourself? These are the questions that we all as people of faith have to ask. And in my own life and in the life of a lot of Christians, both these stories, Prodigal Son and Jonah, have been wonderful ways 
to continually reflect on our own hearts. These are deep wells that I keep returning to again and again and again. So my question for you to end is, what's your major takeaway from Jonah? What did you learn? What was the insight? What was the thought? What do you want to pray about some more? I'm going to do something a little risky here. I'm going to give you one minute to, to see if you can, if you don't want to just be by yourself, that's fine. But if you have somebody near you and you want to talk to somebody just for one minute, each of you share, what, what's the big thing from Jonah that you're thinking about or praying about or want to take away from a deep dive into this story. One minute. Go ahead. <laughs>